be seated. John chapter 1. Well, today we step into, um, <clears throat> I think, some very exciting aspects of things in regard to our study of John. We have, uh, verse, verses 1 through 18, have given us a big theological, doctrinal aspect of who Christ is. And then we have looked over the last couple of weeks in regard to John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus. And what we will see today is the testimony and belief in Christ is now going to move beyond just John the Baptist. And it's going to begin to move in, in the lives of some, some other people. And we will see that um, uh, today, the spreading of the gospel. Let's just look at the text. John 1, verse 35, and we'll read down through uh, verse 42. So the next day... Again, John was standing with two of his disciples. If you would, go to 29 just for a second, and you'll see we're looking at three successive days together. Verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 35, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And the next week, verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. A lot of things happening over three days. All right, so verse 35. The next day, John... Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What I would like to do today is I want to frame our time together about talking about how to have a conversation with Jesus and the significance of what it means to sit down with Jesus and have a conversation. Because it radically changed these men's lives today. And for many of us in the room, we know that's the case as well. We sat down, took a careful look at the Scriptures, the claims that Jesus made, and we uh, heard testimony from other people. And eventually we're at the place where um, our faith and our trust was placed in Jesus We became um, a Christ follower. We were forgiven of our sin. Little did we know what would happen in the future. And that is always the case at the very beginning, not knowing fully what is going to come. But I'll say this this morning as we begin. We're going to see the beginning point for two of these guys. I came to Christ at age 17, and it was pretty radical transformation for myself. Um, And I, I just got very excited about the Lord But now I've been walking with God for a long time. I don't know if I can count how many years it is, but, you know, but anyway, they've added up. But I've been walking with the Lord for um, over three decades now. And I'll say this this morning. Those initial moments were unbelievable, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. But I wouldn't trade what my experience is right now for anything. I think think what I know about faith now is so much deeper and better and more satisfying than the very beginning And here's why. There have been moments of my life, as have been moments in your life as well, where you have to cling to God wondering how we're going to make it till tomorrow. I don't know how to make it to tomorrow. And there's a pleading with God and and a begging with God that God would move and God would do something. And what we come to know is there's a sweetness and a depth 
and a, and a satisfying aspect of our relationship with God that can only come through walking through things where we have to cry out to Him. So we're going to see the beginning um, with a couple of guys this morning. Eventually, both of these guys are going to give their very lives for the one that they come to believe in uh, today that we've read in the text. All right, so let's, let's begin to walk through this. Verse 35, look with me again. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was this broken record. He couldn't stop saying this. He said it, he said it the day before. He's going to say it the next day. He's going to say the same thing. John constantly said, Jesus, Jesus, behold the Lamb. Look at the Lamb of God. This was the testimony of John. And what John was saying was this, that is important for us today, is that we need to take our eyes off of other people as great as they are, as much as they know God, as much influence that they've had in our lives. And we need to shift from looking at man and man's teaching and shift our focus toward knowing God. And this is what John the Baptist is doing. John has had this incredible baptizing ministry. He's needed some helpers and so some people have come along and, and John is pouring his life into these men. They are his disciples. He's been telling them about the Lamb of God that's coming to take away the sin of the world. Now the Lamb has come. John is pointing out the Lamb and he's got these followers. And what John is saying is this, I, I don't have anything really for you anymore. I've given you everything that I can. I've, I've taught you about the one who's coming. But now I, I can't talk to you about the one that's coming because there he is right there walking in front of us. Right there, that's him. And so the one that John had been talking about was there and hey, he couldn't do anything but turn to his disciples and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John is telling his disciples and what you and I need to see this morning is this, is that Jesus Christ must be the center of our lives. There's no higher priority. There's nothing more important than walking with him. And that was John the Baptist's heart was to say to those he'd been pouring his life into, listen, you're not to follow me, you're to follow him. He's God. He's the one that you are to follow. And I thought this week about my life, and I would like to ask you if you would think about your life this morning today as well. You know, um, at age 17, I um, became a Christian, and, and I'd never really studied the Bible before. I came to church on Sunday mornings. And my, um, back, do y'all remember back in the day where they had envelopes, and you had to check all these boxes? Did you bring your Bible? Did you bring an offering? And you kind of had a little scorecard on how well your Christian life was expressed that, that uh, morning when you came to church. And so... I remember for the, I, I was one of those, you know, um, I'd take my envelope, and, but I was never interested. But once I became a Christian a, in my junior year, boy, I, I was interested. And I remember coming to church, and, and I had question after question to my Sunday school teacher, and I just, I mean, I fired them off all the time. I was the one, every life group, every small group has this person who sends you down rabbit trails. I was that for my, uh, my Sunday school class, my junior year, because I had lots of questions. I, I, I wanted to know about this. Now that I knew Jesus, I, I had lots of things I'd kind of thought about, but now I really wanted to know because I was in a relationship with him. And I am so thankful for my junior year Sunday school teacher. I'm thankful for other people indirectly in my life. Does anybody remember Algebra 2? Is anybody in Algebra 2 right now? Ooh, boo, Algebra. Anyway, math I know is really important. Um, 
I look back on my life, um, my, junior, my junior year as well, and I'm thankful to God for Algebra 2, believe it or not. And here's why. Um, I was not doing good in Algebra 2, and I needed a tutor. And a friend of mine played basketball with him. His name was Todd, and Todd was a genius at math. Incredible, incredible. And so he tutored me every time we had a test. Well, Todd was a real strong Christian. He talked to his girlfriend on the phone differently than I talked to my girlfriends, not that I was mean, but there was just a, a care and concern that he had, and I came to find out over my whole junior year that the reason Todd did the things that he did and talked the way that he did is his life had been transformed by Christ. And so, so Algebra 2 helped me observe, and so I'm thankful for people directly, indirectly, that pointed me by their lives to a relationship with Christ. By telling me it's worth it to walk and to know Jesus. And so I want to remind us today as we walk through this. The beginning is John the Baptist's statement to his disciples was this. I'm not to be the center. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he is to be the center of your life. He is the one that you must follow. And so we, we all need to be thankful for those who pointed us along the way. Parents, teachers, coaches, whoever it is who pointed us to Christ. Secondly, look at verse 37. Again, so two disciples that were there with, with John, they heard him say this, and they immediately did this. They followed Jesus. So John says, listen, um, behold, there's the Lamb of God. I, I, I don't have anything for you anymore. He's the one who's got everything that you are going to need. He's come to bear your sin. I baptize you with water. He's the one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's the one. Look at him. And immediately two of the disciples thought, all right, I'm going to leave everything that I know, everything that has, has dominated my life by being a disciple of John the Baptist. I'm leaving all of that, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Every one of us in the room this morning, if you're a Christ follower, must get to the place where we make that shift to it's worth leaving everything behind to know Jesus. Nothing is greater than a relationship with Christ. And one of the great things I love about John the Baptist is this, is you see his great humility here. If you've ever been in leadership, it is a unique thing to pour your life into people and then turn them over to somebody else. And that's what John the Baptist has done. He's been pouring in these men, and now he's going to turn them over to Jesus, and he's going to take a back seat. He's going to say, you guys move on with him, and John was totally good with that. But for all of us in the room this morning, we must move on from our old life and move on in our relationship of pursuing to know Christ in a deeper and deeper way. These two men who walk away from John the Baptist, they had jobs, they had aspirations, um, they had financial considerations, they likely had family, they probably owned certain things, they may have had businesses. And so when they walk away from John the Baptist that day and begin the process of following Jesus that is going to come, they are literally walking away from everything. And so it says here that John says, go, they go, and they began to follow Jesus. We know um, later on that Andrew is one of those. He has a brother named Peter, but we're not for sure who the other one is, but we will talk about that here in just a moment. So John the Baptist declares, that's the Lamb of God. This is the one that you must follow. Now, listen to this. This is critical. We all have to make a decision that we want just a glimpse 
of Jesus? Just want kind of a distant, kind of near, or do we want to be close to Christ? And so it says that they followed. Now, they didn't immediately go up and say, hey, can we be a follower? But they leave John and they follow, and they're leaving behind everything that they know. Do they fully know everything that's coming ahead? Absolutely not. None of us know that. None of us know what is, is in the future for us, but we know this, that there's one who holds the future, and if we know him, we are in him, and we have a life that is unbelievably secure. But these, these guys are willing to say this, there's a treasure. If that's the Lamb of God, if he's the fulfillment of all the lambs that have ever been killed and sacrificed, if that's the fulfillment, then we're going to follow him, and it's also a foreshadowing of what following him would be. Lambs in Israel didn't have a glamorous life. Many of them, because they would sacrifice a lamb in the morning, they would sacrifice a lamb in the afternoon. The lambs were marked by sacrifice and death. And so when John says, go with this guy, look to him, this is not one of those things where it was going to be touring Israel, looking at all the cool stuff. This was going to be walking with the Son of God at great cost of leaving everything behind and often these guys would be confused as they would walk with Jesus often they would see amazing things often they would see over the next few years moments that would make them uncomfortable there would be moments when they wonder what's going to happen when Jesus had confrontations with the religious leaders they were often challenged by Christ's example and the things that he taught and so these two guys begin the process of moving on and and this here's the point and I'll say it to us this morning, and, I, and I, I want us to hear it. Jesus Christ is worth leaving everything in our old life, everything in our life. He is worth it, leaving that behind and following him. There's nothing more satisfying than that. That's why when we look at these people in the Bible and we realize, and again, this is not saying we need to go home today and sell all our stuff. But here's the reality. Listen, we need to be willing to hold loosely to the things here. I've told this um, several, I guess a number of years ago. I hadn't said it lately, but um, our family twice has had to do this. I remember when we moved to Germany uh, to be church planters there. We sold everything that we owned here, everything that we had memories with for the most part. Just sold it all, left it all, gave it away to a place and moved to Germany. Four years later, we were moving back to the States and everything that we owned in Germany, everything that was connected to memories, everything that was there, we gave that away and we sold it all to get rid of everything. And what you come to find out, if you're willing to hold loosely the things of this earth, that it's not hard to let them go. That there is a treasure that is greater than anything on this earth. And there are people who have come to know that. And when you come to know that, it settles deep inside your bones to where it's worth it to walk in obedience. It's worth it to not get caught up in the things that are popular in our culture. And these two guys didn't just want a glimpse. They wanted depth. They wanted to know Christ, and they didn't want to just follow at a distance. So here's what we know. Thirdly, is that, look at verse 38, is that Jesus, if we will seek and we will come, he will open the door to relationship. Look at 38. So Jesus turned, and he saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, 
Where are you staying? So Jesus knows. You ever had that before? I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully you haven't, but probably you kind of feel like, man, is somebody staring at me? Is somebody following me? And you kind of get that, you, that feeling. Well, here's Jesus walking down the road. Not only does Jesus have that feeling, he's God. He also he knows. He knows two guys are following him now. And they want to say something, but they haven't said anything yet. And so they want to follow him. They want to have a conversation with him. They want to ask some questions. They want a little bit more, but they don't know what to do. And Jesus does something here that is just like him. He turns and he says, hey, guys, what do you want? And I, I don't know if they kind of like, okay, what does he know that we're following him? But, but he interrupts it and he opens the door. And watch this. He engages and initiates relationship with them. Now, are they interested? Absolutely, they are interested. I know, that, I know that I've met people along the way, now that I've been a Christian, who weren't Christians, that were reading the Bible, but they had not come to Christ yet, but they were reading the Bible, seeking answers. And they wanted to know what was true, and so they were reading it. And so there's a heart that was there, and these guys have this heart, and they want to know more about Christ. And so Christ stops, he turns, and he engages them and initiates a relationship. He opens the door so that they can come near. And listen, folks, this is always the case with God. We seek God because we are being drawn. And I want to kind of give a visual picture. I think God draws us. And I think he's active. I think the Spirit is active. And I think the Father is active. And here's what Jesus said one day, John 6, 65. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. We are drawn to a relationship with Christ because God is drawing us to this relationship. And God always makes the first step. He has made the first step. And his great step that he made toward you and I is the gift of his son, Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, he writes about this, that before the foundation of the world, the plan was, is that Christ was going to come. This was not a, oh no, sins enter the world, what are we going to do about it? There was already an understanding of what was going to happen and take place. See, our God, listen, our God is all-knowing. Genesis 3 didn't surprise God, where he's like, okay, now we got to kind of figure out what to do. That's what, makes, that's what makes faith for me one of the things so mind-boggling is he knew what my heart was going to be like toward him, and he made me anyway. And he came and he died for me and for you anyway. He opens the door to relationship. He does the work of relationship. He is drawing us and revealing us. And I believe that people who honestly seek, then he meets them. He doesn't do this, okay, I'm hiding Hiding, hiding. Okay, okay, you're getting warmer, getting warmer, getting warmer. I think that people who honestly are seekers of truth and God is drawing them, I think he's not waiting for them to find God. By the way, we don't find God. God reveals himself to us. He finds us. And when he finds us, he reveals himself and he draws us and brings us into this relationship where we trust in him. And sometimes God draws And then sometimes God just steps in, Acts 9, the Apostle Paul, and just like that, he changes a person's life. That's what he did to me. Just just overnight, things radically changed for my life. And so God 
we could all stand up in this room this morning, those who have a relationship, we can say, this is, this is what God was doing, this was the circumstances, this is how he was drawing me, this is what he was doing, and they would all sound different because he knows exactly who you and I are and exactly what we need, and he is present, he loves us, he's got a purpose for us, and he's the one, again, who opens the door to relationship with us. Thirdly, let's look at the next part. Kind of the same part of verse 38. Jesus speaks and asks the critical questions of life. So Jesus turned and he saw them. There they were. They're following him. And he said to them, what are you seeking? Guys, what do you want? Why why are you after me? Why are you pursuing me? What is it that you want? Jesus' first words to these first two who desired to follow him were not this. I'm going to share a long list of the benefits of following me. So just hang on, guys. I'm going to share this with you. He didn't turn around and pull out his tunic and pull out a real slick brochure and say, here's the, here's the thing, here's some bullet points of, of the stuff, what it's going to mean. If you follow me, this is what it's going to look like. We're going to go to this section of Israel, and we're going to kind of do these things. There wasn't any of that kind of stuff. There was no sales pitch that he made for them. He didn't offer them the prosperity gospel. He didn't at that moment, he didn't even ask them to follow. They're following him. He didn't ask them, hey, follow me. He will do that next week. We will see. He didn't say, listen, I'm going to make you moral. Follow me. I'll make you moral. He didn't also do something like this. Hey, if you'll follow me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And and, and then withhold the denying yourself kind of stuff. He didn't do that. He just said, hey, guys, what what are you after? What are you after? What do you want? What do you want? And everybody in the room this morning, from boys and girls to students to adults, I think he's asking the same question to us. What do you and I want from Christ? What do we want? What are we seeking? For some people, they want Jesus plus a lot of material blessings, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus. And what you and I need to come to a place of where we recognize is that if it would just be Jesus, and he becomes the passion and love of our lives, then he adds to our lives everything that you and I need. But we want to seek him, plus we want to seek other things. And I think what happens with all that is that some Christ followers get to a place where the desire for what they desire Jesus to do in their life is so little, it is so small, and, and, and they miss out on God's heart for what he would like to do in them depth. They just want to live in the shallows when Christ is saying, come, jump in, go under, and let me lead you. Let me let you know what it's like to walk in a relationship with me. So we ask these guys, what is it that you are seeking? And it is a critical question. Why are you and I in this room today? What do we want from Christ? What are we hoping to get out of this? And what I would want to say to us this morning is simply this, is that life is so much more than comfort and ease. Life is so much better than those things. Here's what many of us have come to know to be true, is that when Jesus says, hey, what do you want? What are you seeking? What do you desire in me? Jesus says this, I'm going to give you every bit of who I am. I've already done that. And if you will come to a relationship with me, I will do amazing things depth-wise in your life. The Christian life is not about being rich. It's not about fame. It's not about any of that stuff. Here's what I know the Christian life to be about. It's about coming to a place where we know that Christ is the greatest treasure above everything else.
Let me share what this looks like in, by examples in a few things. If you want a big God-sized life that seeks after Christ for the right kind of thing and lives for the right kind of things, it sounds like this. It sounds like saying, I want to know you and I want to know the power of your resurrection. That's what I want. It's more than a, a new car. I want that. It means to take up your cross and follow him. It means, just like Peter in Matthew 14, where he's in a boat and the storm is there and waves are crashing in and you're in the boat with a bunch of other guys and Jesus comes walking to you on the water and you look around, okay, do I stay in here with everybody else who's just like me or do I go out there where it looks like the most secure place is out there on the water and so to say to Jesus, Jesus, tell me to come to you And hear Jesus say, come, step out of security, step out of things you can grab onto, step out into an adventure, step out into the water, come to me. And the Bible says in Matthew 14 that Peter was literally walking on the water. I don't know if you've tried that lately, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter's walking on the water, but then he gets caught up again in his man-centered thinking, thinking, I can't do this, and he sinks. But I think the life of faith is one that says this, I, I want to step out. I want to step out and experience it. I think another aspect of those who want big things from God, they are willing to forgive their spouse for things that their spouse has done instead of trying to find a way to get out of the marriage. I think sometimes big things in faith are this, I'm going to forgive 70 times 7. Yeah, but I, I'm not to 490 yet. We're at 400. Then, then 401 you forgive. 402, and when you get to 490, guess what? You forgive 491. I think those who want the big things of life, God-sized kinds of things, are the kind of people who know Christ is such a treasure that at midnight in a Philippian jail, after you've been beaten for your faith, feed in stocks, you find the most satisfying thing you can do with blood oozing from your back, is to sing at midnight like Paul and Silas did in the Philippians jail. That there's something in life so satisfying that causes you to worship. So when Jesus turned to these two guys and says, hey, what do you you want? What are you after? It was a big question, and I think he poses that to us today. What do you and I want from Jesus? And I think it's what we sang a while ago. I want nothing else. I want nothing else but you. If he truly is life, then everything that you and I need is going to be found in a relationship with him. He will give and provide everything that we need. Next, look at the next part of 35 or 38. We're still there. Um, He says this, and so they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And you may not find it interesting uh, as I did, but I found it funny today. I don't know about you, but if it's 11.35, but if about 2.30 this afternoon, I could, I could go to a coffee shop in McKinney today and I could sit down with Jesus himself. I got a long list of questions I'd want to ask. Not, not doubting questions, but just things I want to know. I love to ask. I love to be fascinated by them. These guys... They have been, listen, the Jews have been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. John the Baptist says, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one we're waiting on. They're following Jesus. Jesus turns, hey, what do you want? Of all the questions they could ask, all they could come up with in the moment is, where are you staying? 
And I think sometimes we ask some of the most shallow questions of God, and it represents, I think, that we don't see him as big. But really, basically, what they were wanting to do is, hey, where are you staying? We got some things we'd like to talk with you about. And we think, based on what John the Baptist said, that you've got some stuff to say to us, and you are the one that we have been waiting for, and we would like to talk with you. And so, fifthly, this morning, I just want to say this. Jesus is worth more than a conversation on the road. We ought to sit down and talk with him. We ought to sit down and spend time with him. And so they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. This was a designation saying to Christ, a high designation of you are a wise person. This is what the students would give um, when they call their teacher um, Rabbi. And they had big questions for him that day. They needed to talk with him, and and it would require more than just a conversation along the way. Seeking was not enough. They wanted to be close. They wanted intimacy. They wanted to know him in a deep way. They had followed John the Baptist, but John the Baptist said, I don't hold anything anymore. You need to follow this guy. Now they're following him. Now he's asked them, what do you want? And like, well, we'd like to know where you're staying because we would like to talk with you a little bit more. And I want to ask a question this morning. What might happen in our lives if we long for and were devoted to be near and aware of Christ's presence above everything else? What might it fix in our relationships with our integrity, whatever the case may be? I want to give two illustrations about nearness. Exodus thirty-three, eleven tells us this unique picture. They used to, with the, the Jews, they would, as they traveled around the wilderness, they would set up the tabernacle, and they would set up the tent of meeting, and Moses would go into the tent of meeting, and the Bible says God would come down in the tent of meeting, and God would talk with Moses face-to-face as a man talked with his friend. And then the Bible says, this is Exodus thirty-three eleven that when Moses was done and God was done talking with him, Moses would leave the tent of meeting, but there's a, just a short little phrase in Exodus 33:11 that I've always found unbelievably fascinating. And I contemplated it on a little bit more this week. It tells us this, that inside the tent, there was a guy sitting there with Moses, listening to the conversation that God had with Moses. As God shared with Moses, Moses talked with God, and this conversation was going on. And Exodus 33:11 tells us that Joshua, the son of Nun, stayed into the tent after Moses left. You know what Joshua was doing? He was, having, he was doing something that we don't do anymore, hardly. He was lingering in the presence of God. He was contemplating on what he had heard God say to Moses, what Moses had said. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Guess who got to be the one who led them into the promised land? the one who lingered and listened and learned from how God communicated to Moses. You know, one of the realities of our life today is this, is we are so busy, we rush into God's presence and we rush out of it. We don't make the time to spend time to to not only pour our heart out, but to let God pour his heart out to us in prayer. And so Moses would go in and he would meet, he would leave, Joshua would linger. And so folks, I want to say to us today that we should linger more. We should linger more in God's presence. We're gonna, I'm going to be done in a moment. We're going to sing a song. But if God's really dealing with you, 
When we say amen, because you have to say amen before you leave and you go home to go to do lunch, whatever it is, because that's in the Bible for churches to do at the very end. And so when we do that Bible thing and we say amen and we go, but God's really dealing with you, can I tell you what you ought to do? You ought to just stay where you are. Yeah, but dad's, dad's in the car and we're, we're supposed to be at Chili's. If you're 17 in the room this morning and God's dealing with you, your dad can wait. I'll deal with your dad. If your dad's got a problem with that, then your dad's got a bigger problems. We should linger. We should linger. There's another great story. It's a New Testament one about lingering. Jesus comes to a city. All the apostles are with him. The disciples are there. They come to a house in a place called Bethany. It's a house where a woman named Martha and Mary lived. They were the sisters of Lazarus. And boy, can you imagine having the apostles come in and you've got the gift of hospitality and you've got to feed everybody? Thanksgiving's coming up. We know about feeding lots of people, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so, so they're, they're coming. I, boy, wouldn't that be great if we knew today, 2 o'clock, Jesus and the apostles are coming to the house, coming to the Weems house and you know, and, and Amy's like, Josh, we got to get out of here. Not count, you're not counting afterwards, and we got to get home. We got, we got the big boys. They're coming to the house. And, and can you imagine the pressure they felt? Man, Jesus, Jesus is coming to our house. Well, Jesus comes into the house, and he does this. Let me grab this. <clears throat> he comes into the house, and rabbis back in the day, they would sit. And so Jesus sits. They would sit on a stool. They would sit somewhere. And the disciples would gather around him. So Jesus is in the living room, and he's just teaching, just telling unbelievable truths about, about God and glory, about the kingdom, all this kind of stuff. Well, over in the kitchen, over here, there's lots of stuff going on in kitchens. You got microwaves, and, and one sister kept doing this. And she'd look out again, and her sister is sitting at the feet of jesus while there's stuff to do over there stuff to do over here really important and she gets so fed up that she's done with it she probably washes her hands and she's like she comes in jesus and it says this in luke 10 that she comes into the bible study and she gets jesus attention and says i got to say something to you there's a lot of stuff to do over here that I'm busy about. And, and, and my sister is sitting at your feet. What in the world is she doing? There's stuff to do. And Jesus says, you don't want Jesus to say your name twice. He says, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And your sister has chosen the good portions, what it says. And it will not be taken from her. Now listen, church. If you've ever been involved in ministry and you get burnt out, just serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. You're tired. Can I tell you why? Because you've stayed in the kitchen and you haven't sat at the feet. See, the way to have perspective on the service is to sit here. And if you never sit here, then you'll never have a perspective of that. And I, by the way, I'll say this too. If this is all that you ever do is serve, this is not developing a relationship. Re this flows out of this. 
and you don't get tired. And I know for me, because this is my calling and my occupation, when I, when I peek my head out the door and I go, oh, gosh, that Mark Donahoe. <sighs> Man, he just doesn't do enough, and he just makes me do stuff all the time. And he doesn't do that, but anyway. When I complain about people at the church, whose heart condition is that a problem with? Mark's or mine? It's mine. Now, there could be an issue with Mark, and Mark needs to deal with that. But that's because here, because when you and I gaze at Jesus, we get the words, there's an adjustment that needs to happen and take place in our lives. And so listen, church. These two guys said, Jesus says, what are you seeking? Where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying because we want to spend time with you. And the Bible tells us that that day they went and they spent the whole day, likely into the evening is the indication, from about 4 o'clock on, probably till late, they just spent time with Christ. Jesus, them asking their questions, Jesus answering the question, Jesus revealing things to them, and they sat at the feet of Jesus, and it dramatically changed their lives. And the reason they got to sit at the feet of Jesus is because of this. He's the great inviter into, to, to his life, and as he brings us to his life, he reveals who he is through his word. So it says this, so Jesus said to them, come, you want to know where I'm staying? You come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And does your heart this morning in this room long for the teacher, the Son of God, the Messiah, to, to speak into your life and settle some of the big questions that you've always had about God, about life, about eternity, about, about spiritual matters, because he's present today, and in his word he speaks. There's not going to be an extra book written to add to this so that you and I will get some further information. He has given us exactly what you and I need. And so Jesus invites those guys, says, you guys, come on, I'll show you where I'm staying. And so they go and they sit down with Jesus and he radically changes their life. And he will change your life today as well because he's the great inviter. And when he invites us and we come, he reveals who he is. Look at 40 in verse 41 now. Jesus is God's anointed king. So one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew is so moved by the meeting that he immediately goes to find his brother and he brings him to Jesus. This Greek word here that uh, was there in the, the previous verse, when he finds us or when he goes, it says... Uh, the, the verse that says, um, and they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him. And when he comes, one of the two brothers who heard him speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. This word first found in the Greek means this. It means either early in the morning or priority, the very first thing. And it probably means the same thing. Let's say at 1230 in the morning, they get through talking with Jesus. And Andrew's like, gosh. We just spent eight hours talking to the Messiah. And so his option was, I can go home, go to bed, or I can go wake up my brother, my grumpy brother fisherman, and I can wake him up and tell him, hey, you're never going to believe where I've been all day. And Peter may have woken up and said, Andrew, where you been all day? You know, we're, 
We've got work to do, fishing. And he tells him, there's a burning in Andrew's heart that says this, listen, what I've experienced today is so incredible. I've got to make sure that my brother knows about this. And so the first thing that Andrew does is not go home and go to bed and go home and kind of think about it and have warm feelings. I, you know, I got to be with the Messiah today. He said he knew this. I have got to tell someone else about this, this burning desire. So he goes and he finds his brother and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. And what made the difference in Andrew of, of John the Baptist, there's the lamb following. Hey, what do you guys want? Well, we want to know where you're staying because we want to talk with you. Okay, then come. Let's talk. Talking, experiencing, and now they're like, okay, I've got to let somebody else know what has changed my life. And so Andrew goes and immediately finds his brother. And and what changed his life that day was time with Jesus and hearing Jesus talk. And I can't say this, I can't be a broken record enough to us, life point. Nothing will transform our lives more than sitting with Jesus and reading the Word. Sitting with Jesus and reading the Word. And He speaks to us, He reveals Himself that way. And when He does that, guess what happens? Life is transformed. And I want to close with that. Look at verse 42. So He brought His brother to Jesus And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. See, Andrew wasn't skeptical about what he had heard from Christ, about his experience that day. He knew it all to be true. And he knew that what Peter needed more than anything was to meet Jesus as well. And church, what we need in this room today what we need from those in the first service, what we need those in the second service today, is we need those of us to be confident, confident of the reality of who Christ is, what He can do in a life, what He says, and to communicate that trust to others that He is worth following. Andrew's life is transformed. Peter's life is about to be transformed. Now this, from all we can tell... Andrew had to live in the shadow of his brother. Does anybody have a brother or sister? And let's just face it, they were greater than you. They're just greater than you. They're smarter, they've got a better job, and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. You know, and they just, you know, and people, people like, who are you? Oh, um, well, my name is, my name's Tom, um, but my brother is, you know, Jim. Oh, Jim, yeah, Jim, we know. We don't know you, but yeah, we know Jim, and you're always associated with a brother. And this was Andrew. Watch what happens in Andrew's life. There's this coolest moment ever outside the cross where Jesus takes James, John, and Peter up on a mountain and Jesus is transfigured. They see the glory of Jesus, the inner light of his glory shining out. Guess who had to stay down at the bottom of the mountain? Andrew. So here's Andrew. He brings his brother, he brings Peter to Jesus. He does that. And you look at all the list of the 12, the first three are always in the same list. The next three are always, there's four lists of three. Next four are always same, different order. Third set are in the same order. Last one, Andrew's always in the second set. He's never in the first set. So here's Andrew. He brings his brother 
to Jesus. Jesus changes Peter's life. Peter gets to be in the in group. Andrew gets to be in the second group. And Andrew, the appearance is, never said, not fair. Boy, do you hear that all the time, parents? hear your kids, that's not fair. Hey, kids, kids, look up here. Life is not fair. But you know what? Life in God is. You know why? Because there's not anything that God does in our life that's not right, it's not pure, and it's not good. But with man, it's not fair. You know what we know about Andrew? Andrew was content to live in the shadow of his brother. You know why? Because the kingdom of God was more important than Andrew's place in it. And so if it meant the kingdom of God was going to be greater, Peter leading, then Andrew needed to be okay with that. And he was. Do you know Andrew's seen three times in the Gospels? You know what he's doing all three times? Bringing people to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? You know who found the little boy who had the lunch? Andrew. Later on, last week of Jesus' life, some Greeks have a question for Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. Guess who brings the Greeks to talk to Jesus? Andrew. And you see, Andrew got to a place where it's okay if my brother's in the limelight. That's for the good of the kingdom. I'll be secondary, even though, humanly speaking, not fair. I brought him to Jesus. I should at least get in, but he didn't. His brother got to see, hear, and experience things that Andrew never did. But Andrew was okay with that because Andrew's identity was not connected to his brother. His identity was connected in that he knew Jesus himself. And that's what shaped his life. Last change. So Jesus transformed Andrew's life, but then he also transformed Peter's life. And so it says there, Jesus looked right at Peter and he said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. He changed his name. This word, this Greek word for looking at him is not a glance. It means to look into somebody and read them. Jesus looks right at Peter and reads him. And he says this, hey, you're this, but I'm going to do something unique in your life, and you're going to be rock. You're going to be rocky, not Balboa, but rocky Israel. You're going to be it. And Peter eventually became that. You know, when Jesus looked at Peter that day, you remember the Gospels? Peter have it together? (laughs) Remember the night Jesus is arrested? Does he have it together? No. Three times he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And he goes out into the streets and he weeps. And then Jesus is resurrected. He restores Peter on the shores of the Lake of Sea of Galilee. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, guess who stands up and proclaims? This one that Jesus meets here and says, Listen. I see who you are now, but I see beyond who you are now, I see who you're going to be. And it's that way with all of us. If you feel like, I'm just timid, I don't don't know enough about the Bible to to do much, that's okay. I I didn't know anything. Listen, at 17, I knew nothing. But I just bugged my Sunday school teacher all the time, my youth pastor. Hey, hey, tell me about this. Help me understand this. Help help me understand this. I just ask questions. Ask questions. Ask questions. Seek questions to know and he will transform our lives all right so what's the application today what do we take from here and i want to go back to what i said a while ago here's the application i think two things i think we need to linger more we need to sit and we need to linger more after worship times 
Just sit and listen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I drive down the road and I worship and I'm singing loud in my car and I'm experiencing God in my car and, and I get somewhere and maybe I don't need to just get out of my car real f- fast. Maybe I just need to sit and just think about what I've been experiencing and hearing from Christ and talking with Him. The other thing is this posture, to sit like this and to sit before Him and to behold And the way we behold today, he's not physically in front of us, but the way we behold him is we behold him in the scripture. He is the Logos. He is the word. So this is where we see him today. And if we don't do this, this will be frustrating. Let's let's be honest. Those of us who have been in ministry, have you been burnt out before? I have. And it's because there's not enough of the facing this way to get perspective of the kitchen life. Kitchen life's important. Things at the church have got to get done. But this is the portion that's not going to be taken away. And so I think the application today is just like those guys. Their lives were changed because they followed and Jesus says, what do you want? And they just said this. They didn't ask for money that day. They just said, we want to know where you're staying. And we want to spend time with you. And we want to listen. We want to talk with you. And their lives were transformed. You ever heard of the Andrew Cross? Tradition tells us that eventually Andrew took the gospel and he was crucified, not on a cross like this, a cross is by the shape of an X. And that's how Andrew was crucified. And I think as Andrew breathed his last breath on what we call the Andrew cross, I think Andrew would say it was worth it. I knew a treasure that was greater than breathing on earth. And it's knowing Jesus. So our, our choice today is glimpses or intimacy. And the reality for us is we need more and more and more and more of who Jesus is. Let's pray.